January 12, 2010, uh, in Haiti. Um, the school children were headed home or had headed home from school, and businesses were just wrapping things up for the day when all of a sudden, without any warning, no alarm, the earth began to shake and to twist and to buckle, as, as Lane expressed. And um, just within le- literally less than a minute, In less than a minute, there was devastation across the city of Port-au-Prince and all through that area and the towns and communities uh, across that part of of Haiti um, as concrete buildings just came crumbling down. And um, tens of thousands of people were trapped in the rubble. Um, No one seems to really know for sure exactly how many people died. Um, And we've looked and and, and, uh, on the Internet and researched, and no one honestly is absolutely sure. There could be 100,000, 200,000, possibly even more who died that day. When we visited Haiti in January, we visited um, the site of a mass grave where they estimate about 85,000 people were buried. And if you look at it, and you'll see a picture of it just now, it sort of looks like a gravel parking lot, except for the rows of black crosses. And um, it was a very desperate and a very, very sad time. Um, as uh, the darkness fell, because this was kind of late afternoon, and, and soon the sun set, and there was no power. Can you just imagine the devastation, the injuries, and no power, no way to really see to help, uh, to help the people who were trapped? Um, and as the darkness fell, the Nazarene Bible College, where we'll be living, opened its gates to whoever wanted to come in to take refuge. There were a lot of scared people, and nobody wanted to be in a building. Everyone wanted to get away, away from the cement walls, the houses. And our Bible College campus is a um, probably about 18-acre campus and plenty of space, wide open space and grass and trees. There's a large tabernacle that holds about 1,500 people. And it was a good place to take shelter because it has a, a metal roof, so it was a safer place. And so people just streamed onto the campus to take refuge that, that night. And um, what do you do in the aftermath of something like that? A lot of questions, a lot of wondering. Uh, people use cell phones there, but the cell phones weren't working. There was no way to communicate, find out what had happened to their loved ones. But they could talk to the Lord. And uh, in the dark, Um, People just gathered and prayed, cried out to God, thanked him for sparing their lives. And um, there's a recording uh, during those early days after the earthquake that you may have heard. Um, Someone captured it, I don't know, on a cell phone or something. Uh, But it was of the Haitians there gathered on the campus, and they were singing um, in French Creole the song that you know, that we know in English. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And uh, that was what they held on to in the days ahead as they assessed the damage and heard uh, of the reports of what had happened to those that they loved and cared about and and uh, as they began to try to rebuild their lives. Well, Nazarenes around the world responded, and I know your church responded. I know you took an offering to help with the relief efforts there, and, and churches around the world did the same. And uh, the people there are just so incredibly grateful. There are so many ways that the church was able to help. There's a, there was a Haitian Nazarene Compassion Ministries director and team that went out as quickly as they could get out through the rebel in the streets to assess the damage and to see how the church could help. And, and 
All kinds of things have happened in the year and a half since the earthquake in terms of relief efforts, uh, one of the things was uh, that t- uh, over 200,000 pounds of food was delivered to people who were just really uh, desperately in need of food, and also water was provided. Um, some of you have donated items for crisis care kits, I'm sure, and or you've put them together yourself. And uh, there happened to be some crisis care kits that were actually there and ready to go out, and they were, they were stored on the campus, and they were able to get those out right away to people who had literally lost everything, and then thousands more care kits were brought in to distribute. Um, as they assessed the damage, they found that about 20 Nazarene churches had been destroyed to the point or damaged to the point that they could not be used anymore, and about 60 more were severely damaged. And I just think, um, you know, if this building were to come down, I think we'd be grateful to be alive and worshiping on the grass, and they were very grateful. But the rebuilding effort began right away and has continued. Um, one of the priorities for rebuilding um, in the Church of the Nazarene has been um, – to rebuild the sanctuaries because we find that the churches are are the center of the community. Often our Nazarene churches have schools, clinics, and provide a lot of other services to the community as well. Um, We are just really, really excited that your church is planning to bring a work and witness team to Haiti next year. And uh, we're just thrilled about that. And in that effort and the building of a a clinic, um, I can't tell you how desperately that's needed. Um, Just in the last, uh, since October and November, over 5,000 people have died of cholera. Um, And so there's just this ongoing need for for assistance. Um, During January, when we were in uh, in Port-au-Prince, one afternoon, a Friday afternoon, we went into the Bel Air Church of the Nazarene. It's this huge building. It's about four stories high. There's a school on the bottom floor. Uh, and then the sanctuary, two massive balconies and, and another floor above it. And um, it is right in the center, in the heart of the city, in this massive uh, slum area. And um, we climbed up onto the roof, and you could just look out across this desperately poor area, but then across also to the harbor and the boats there and across to the National Palace. If you saw pictures last year from the earthquake, I know you saw that building, a huge, beautiful white building that was just broken. Do you remember that? And just that image of this broken, majestic building. And it's just that same way today um, as, it, as it was then, really a symbol of, of the brokenness um, of the country. Um, and yet God is at work. Uh, when we walked into, into the Bel Air church, we didn't expect anyone really to be there. We knew it would be open, but we didn't expect anyone to be there. This is a church where when the earthquake occurred, there were about 100 people gathered for a prayer meeting on a Tuesday afternoon. And uh, miraculously, the building stood strong. But around them, on the street corner, there were two, on the same street corner, there were two multi-story buildings. One was a school, and they came down um, in, in the quake. So here are these Nazarenes, these Christians, gathered together for prayer, buildings coming down. And um, I'm sure a lot of loss in their community. But as we walked into that building, we heard people singing. 
And so we went into the sanctuary, curious to know what was going on. And here they were having a choir practice, just like you do uh, with, in your church. They were having a choir practice. There was a man at a keyboard directing this group of ladies, and they were preparing for their Sunday service. And um, it, the song that they were singing, of course, was in, in Creole, and so I didn't understand it. And we asked our missionary friend, what are they singing about? This is beautiful, but what are they singing about? And he said, they're singing about the hope of heaven. And I thought how appropriate uh, for people who've lost so much, who have known um, such tragedy over the last year and a half, to be singing about the hope of heaven. And, you know, the needs are staggering in Haiti, obviously. Um, you know about the poverty. Over 600,000 people are still living in under tarps. And um, when we visited there, even just, just down the road from, from where we'll be doing our grocery shopping, there, there's a, a town center, probably would be a beautiful little kind of grassy park, um, or would have been, uh, except that it's covered with tents, tarps, bed sheets, whatever people can find, and that's where they're living. That is their daily existence. So Haiti, Haiti, uh, are we really going, going to Haiti? Um, Yes, absolutely. Um, I think of God, when we think of God, we know that he's a God who doesn't sit back and watch and just cross his arms and, uh, and, and watch things happen unconcerned. No, our God is a God who rolls up his sleeves and he goes right into the heart of the need, right into the heart of the pain of the world, and he ministers there. Well, who will he use? He uses us. He uses you and me to minister um, as we go to Haiti, uh, can we change the poverty? Can we raise the standard of living? Personally, no. We can't, we can't do that for people, but can we bring the hope of Christ that is very real, that is life-transforming? Um, yes, God is calling us to do that. So what do you do? Even in your own life, right here in the circumstances that you're in, when God calls you to respond to an enormous need, you just follow his call. And I'd, we'd like to show you a short DVD, and then Lane will share a little bit more. Uh, most of these pictures were taken while we were in uh, Haiti in January.